Hi, and welcome back to the pod. We are here with episode four of the Cut the Cameras podcast. I feel that I've finally gotten to a place with this podcast where I can just kind of sit and talk a little more naturally. When I was thinking about how I wanted this podcast to be, my vision, um, if you will, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to sit down on a nice day or late at night or when I have an hour free and just say whatever I want. And then my first three episodes were like (laughs) super scripted. So with this one, I'm just going to wing it a bit more and uh, talk about something that I know a lot about and can talk about for hours, which is uh, YouTube, being a YouTuber. Hi, I'm a YouTuber, in case you don't know. Will's Camera is the name of my channel. And I've been doing YouTube for about five years, which makes me sound like I'm ancient, but I'm like 17 years old. Yeah, um, long time. And in that time, I've obviously gathered some knowledge that I've just been waiting to share. So we'll get into that in a second. First, we're going to start with highs and lows. Uh, my high of the week is I just got back from Berlin yesterday. Uh, I spent the weekend there to look at a university, which went amazing. I was so stressed because I've wanted to live in Berlin for such a long time. And city-wise, out of all the cities on my university list, Berlin was like my top one. But university-wise, I was still unsure about. So that was great. I So much vegan food. Oh my, Shout out to the last episode. I talked about veganism with my friend Iris. Great episode. Um... Berlin is the vegan capital of the world, and it lives up to that title. Everywhere I went, every single restaurant had vegan, like the vegan sign on their window. It wasn't even just on the menu, it was advertised. I, half the restaurants I saw were plant-based restaurants, and if they weren't, they had like at least half of their menu was vegan, not even vegetarian, vegan. I was in love. And then I saw a friend from um, my old city in Germany, um, kind of an older friend, um, and I was. It was just nice to have that energy back. I miss Germany, because I miss Germany so much. Um, and whenever I see friends every once in a while from my little town, I'm just reminded that there's more out there, and I'm lucky enough to be able to have friends in all these different places. So that was definitely a high of the week. And for my low, I don't have one. I don't have a low. I was thinking about it, and I was like, okay, I have to think of a low for the podcast. And then I said, why? Like, (laughs) if I don't have a low, work. That's good, right? Um, So yeah, having a really good week. I have a lot to look forward to. Yeah, thank you guys so much for all the love on the podcast so far. Uh, I've been seeing so many five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, which is so sweet. It really does mean a lot, especially starting a podcast, just to kind of get it rolling. And so, yeah, if you do enjoy it, I would really appreciate if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or another platform where you can leave a written review. Let me know what you think. Um, if you want to write something, I'll definitely see it. Maybe I'll read it in a future episode. I can start doing that. Um, and I would just love to hear from you guys um, your feedback. Okay, so yeah, YouTube. After five years, I think I've gather enough information that I can talk about it for like an hour. My goal with this episode is to talk about all of the parts of being a YouTuber that maybe one wouldn't know if they're not a YouTuber. And if you are a YouTuber, maybe you can relate to the things I'm saying, which is just nice. Maybe some misconceptions and just some like byproducts of being a YouTuber. If I'm being completely honest, some of this is me just wanting to complain about YouTube, but it felt weird to complain about YouTube on my YouTube channel. So this podcast is just a really time-consuming excuse for me to do that. Um, (laughs) But actually, first, I do want to talk about the most rewarding parts 
of YouTube specifically, like having a public presence, but YouTube specifically. Just to set out on a good note um, before, what's it, what's it, um, the, the something before the storm? The calm before the storm? Is that what it is? I don't know. Anyway, yeah, the most rewarding parts. I think the, the greatest gift that YouTube has given me is just a creative outlet that I have full control of, more or less. It's like one of the few parts of my life that I just get to kind of do what I want. And although I do hold myself to some stricter standards, that's kind of an internal issue. Um, there's no one setting assignments for me or deadlines or telling me what I need to be doing with my public presence. There's no one telling me how I can film or edit, what types of videos I need to make. Sure, there's input, but there's no but there's no like power imbalance. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. It's it's not like a, a hobby like playing on a team where you have a coach or in school where you have a professor or at home where you have like a parent or guardian telling you. So, you know, it's just I get to do it. Another great part is just having support from people, having an audience for something that you care about um, and kind of putting yourself out there and having it received well and yourself because YouTube is me. And it is a confidence booster in some ways. If someone's saying I'm talented, I'm not going to like over and over again. Maybe I'll be like, okay. I mean, if you say so. This is probably my favorite part, but it doesn't happen too often, is getting recognized in person. That was crazy. The first time I got recognized, I think, was at VidCon in 2018. And first of all, I'd like to apologize <laughs> to whoever recognized me. Um, but yeah, and then recently I've been getting recognized a lot more in the Netherlands because I had a couple videos about like Dutch culture shocks or living in the Netherlands just do well. And then when I go to Amsterdam or The Hague or something, I I'll often meet some people. And the fact that they're real people living real lives and part of that life includes watching me on a screen is really wacky. It's really, it's like a cool strange. It's a cool strange. And then sometimes I've met really cool people who now I like follow on Instagram and they're doing cooler shit than I am. So I don't know why they're <laughs> watching me. When you start to get to a point where people are seeing you and recognizing you and kind of just making an effort to say like, hey, I like what you do. That's when it's a confidence booster. And there's obviously many more rewarding parts, but the last one I'll say is making friends who are also creators and also becoming friends with people who you look up to. Um, in the past year, I've had a lot of creators who I've followed or been really big fans of start to follow me back or interact with me. I've met some of them, like an example, Batrice from The Bliss Bean. I've been following her for three years and I've always really liked her content. And then I met her in Spain a couple months ago to see her university and spent the day with her. Unjaded Jade, I was a huge Unjaded Jade fan, and I literally DM'd her two days ago asking for Berlin recommendations, right? Like, um, Damon Dominique, Anya, like, these people who I've been fans with since literally I started YouTube that are starting to, like, follow me back or interact with me or... I don't know. It's just cool. It's just cool. Because when you're starting on YouTube, it's not like starting on a sports team where that's your team, that's your community. It's like you kind of have to build your own community online and then find the people who fit into that. I don't know. It's just nice to now have a sense of like, we're all somewhat in the same boat. So yeah, obviously I wouldn't be doing YouTube if it was all bad. There's so many good parts. I just kind of want sympathy. <laughs> that's what I'm on here for. So yeah, let's get into the sympathy provoking parts if you will aka the dark side of youtube that sounds like a shane dawson video my first big topic is comparison 
which is pretty broad because it can be applied to a lot of different aspects of YouTube. But for me, um, I think comparison is applied in terms of following size, let's not sugarcoat it, and video quality. I often tell myself and tell people that I'm glad I don't have a larger following right now because I'm still 17 and in high school and the next chapter of my life I feel will be a little more, I'd be a little more in control of, so I'd want to make content and get recognized and grow following for content during that era. But to be honest, there are times when I'm jealous of other people's audience. There are times when I see people who blow up or um, make similar videos to me but get more recognition for it or aren't making as good of videos as me in my not-so-humble opinion and getting way more followers. Sorry. (laughs) But more so, video quality. And usually from people who have a career on YouTube and have maybe some more time. But a lot of the times I'll compare my videos and then not feel as confident, even though it's two different people living two different lives with two different styles. Sometimes it is difficult to watch other content creators. And something I always talk about with friends of mine who are also YouTubers is like never being able to just watch another creator's YouTube video without making it like an analysis. You know, in like a literature class when you can't just read the book and you have to Instead, you have to analyze every single passage and find, like, the deeper meaning. It's kind of the same idea. If I'm watching another YouTuber's video, I'm thinking, what font is that? Okay, where did they source this music? Is it copyrighted? Check the description. Oh my god, it's not copyrighted? What site did they use? How did they get that? Is that color graded or is that a camera setting? If so, what camera setting on what camera and how much does the camera cost and how soon can it be at my front door? (laughs) Like, (laughs) I can't just, like, sit through a 15-minute vlog and be like, huh, good vlog. By the end of it, I have three pages full of notes. And then there's comparison from your audience, which is like for me being inspired by another creator's style without copying them. Because there's been some creators in the YouTube world who have had kind of a big impact on a lot of video styles. For an example, Emma Chamberlain her in her maybe older era. So many people edit their videos now in the way that she edited them because she utilized editing as a tool to make moments funnier or accentuate moments. You know, like she she really had a unique style. Same thing with Best Dressed, um, who I pulled a lot of inspiration from back in 2020 when she was still uploading. And I think myself and a lot of other creators would get comments like, you can tell that they watch Best Dressed, which could be taken as a compliment, but also you don't want to copy someone's style and you don't want to be accused of copying someone's style. For me now, it's more so like Damon Dominique or Emma Chamberlain in her current era with her travel vlogs. Those are two people who I really like their style. But I I remember I recently got a comment saying like, this intro was a bit too much like Damon Dominique, or you can tell he watches Emma Chamberlain, like stuff like that. And it's like, I, first of all, don't want to have the creator feel that way. Second of all, I want my own aesthetic. I want them to go to Emma Chamberlain's video and say, does she watch Will's camera? (laughs) You know what I mean? But yeah, that's something that's always difficult because there's only so many ways that you can, you know, edit um, a YouTube video. And when you're editing on the same program and filming, you know, travel style content and using the same music, um, because there's only so much no copyright music out there. Yeah, sometimes it can be really similar. And I think that that's something that viewers maybe don't take into account because you're not editing the videos come by honestly. 
And then also kind of the battle between quantity versus quality and the pressure to upload consistently from your audience, but also, again, comparing yourself to other creators, where it's like, they're also a high school student, they're also doing the same stuff that I am, how come they are uploading so much more frequently? I need to be uploading much more frequently. But then you upload more frequently and you're like, my video quality is suffering. And you look at someone else and you say, they have such a nice video quality. Why can't I have that video quality? So sometimes you just have to <laughs> either turn the YouTube off or reflect and be realistic and say, all right, I got to choose one or the other. It can't be both. Another part of YouTube is it's very time consuming. Um, it is literally a part-time job. <laughs> like by definition. Um, and when you're managing, you know, going to school or even university for other people, I think about, I like I just said, Unjaded Jade. Oh my God. Can we just take a moment? She's like, she was writing a book last year, attending one of the most like academically rigorous universities, living abroad and uploading like <laughs> once a week with really nice videos and positive videos. What the hell? Come on. But yeah, it's time consuming. And if you don't believe me, if you say a part-time job, pff, please, I have decided to walk you guys through every single um, step of uploading one video. So let's do it. For one video, you have to start with planning your concept uh, or scripting it if it's a sit-down video, which I do in Notion. Sometimes if it's a sit-down video, it'll take like an hour to script, not so bad. But if it's a vlog or a travel video, I kind of want each video to have something that makes it unique. So how am I going to conceptualize beforehand so that I can do the filming and editing accordingly? Then filming, which um, if it's a sit-down video, pretty easy, only a couple hours. Um, but if it's a vlog or a travel vlog, that can be filming all day to like all week. And you have to take into consideration camera settings, shot setup, lighting. Like there's a bunch of things that you need to do to make the footage look good. Then you transfer your footage to your editing device and you edit it, which includes so many other steps. Then you download the final video and upload the file to YouTube. Then in the YouTube Creator Studio, you do the title, you fill out the description, you add tags, you add it to any playlists, then you add the cards, which kind of appear at the top of the screen as the video plays, end screens, which are at the end of the video, you fill out your ad preferences and place the ads, and then you do a distribution check where you talk about your like target audience if it's over 18 or made for kids. And then you have to check, you know, profanity, violence, to like sensitive topics, trigger warnings. And then YouTube will double check. And then you schedule upload for when you want it to be uploaded. After all that's done, you go and you create the thumbnail, which is pretty important. You have to design it and lay it out. And that's the first impression of your video. And then finally, your video is set, it's scheduled to upload, it uploads, and you have to promote it. You do the Instagram story, you add the link, you post about it, you do a countdown. And this all happens in usually one week, maybe two weeks if you upload consistently. It's a lot on top of other things, um, especially when it's like <laughs> all of that plus, you know, a week worth of assignments and having a social life and going out. Sometimes it does take priority. So naturally, we're now going to transition into mental health and uh, authenticity. There's a difference between authenticity and privacy. And those lines, those lines sometimes get a little bit blurred with certain viewers. I don't want this to be an attack. This is not an attack. If anything, this is a conversation and we're all in it together. Um, it's about everyone else. <laughs> to a certain extent, many YouTubers who are maybe known for their personality or more lifestyle content have an expectation to be authentic online 
but more so <laughs> violate their own privacy. Um, in some ways, a shining example of this is this kind of ongoing Isabel Page. I don't know if you want to call it scandal. Um, if you don't know who Isabel Page is, I will link her below. I think Isabel Page is maybe one of the most talented creators on the YouTube platform in terms of cinematography and utilizing YouTube as an art form. She lives in a tiny house that she built in the woods of, I think, Washington in the forest and on her family's farm and like works to have a more um, sustainable, self-supporting lifestyle. Anyway, there's another YouTuber who kind of makes these like drama type videos who was continuously quote quote exposing Isabel Page for these very minor lies like she didn't actually plant this crop or the tiny house was actually partially paid for by her parents because her dad is an architect and it's like here's the thing that isn't being unauthentic and perhaps is creating an illusion for a certain aesthetic but it um, kind of emphasizes the whole idea that creators on YouTube can sometimes be treated so differently than like quote quote celebrities. And, and I'm talking about creators with a large following especially. I don't usually run into this because no one actually really cares that much. For an example, when people watch a movie with actors, it's with the intent that this is this is acting, this is set up and scripted. And then they, you know, get applauded and praised and recognized for it and their talent and it's great but when youtube is used similarly as a creative outlet i don't think it's ever really received well at least not by everyone what we kind of forget as we move into this like lifestyle vloggy type of content on the platform of youtube it's forgotten that it can also be youtube can be an outlet a creative outlet and she can use it to kind of paint a, a picture, a perfect picture, and kind of curate the footage through editing and the script to give a certain feeling to the viewer. This is why people say, don't believe everything you see online. Hello? Obviously, YouTube can be used in any way as a highlight reel, or but regardless, it will always be somewhat ingenuine because the creator is talking to an inanimate object. It's a camera. Like, <laughs> what do you expect? That's me right now. I know this is a podcast for you guys, on, but I'm sitting in my room. I'm sitting in my empty room. It's actually a really nice day. Sun's coming in, and it's just me and my microphone and my laptop. Like, you know, there's all there's. this isn't um, how I would interact with another person because it's just me. And Isabel Page and other creators talking to their camera and telling a story to their camera isn't going to be the same as them talking to another person where they can ask follow-up questions or, um, you know, it's it's harder to paint an illusion to another individual. This has given me good insight into how I should approach consuming content and my thoughts on creators. But yeah, if you maybe reflect and realize that you're contributing to this somehow of expecting um, creators to have really not no privacy online, maybe maybe just short little reevaluation, little detox. And this also segues nicely into privacy and uh, hate, I guess. We'll start with privacy. I am a student. I'm a high school student. And I am also a YouTuber. I'm many things. So I'm a high school YouTuber student. Nope. Hello. I'm a high school student with a public presence, which is always an interesting experience. Now I will say, 
overall, really positive. Whenever I get people at school who tell me that they like my videos, big confidence booster. People told me they like the podcast. It's great. Overall, 99% of the time, 98% of the time, like 90% of the time, <laughs> it's really nice. But there's, the th I've said it before and I'll say it again. When you meet new people, especially when I switched schools or when you meet friends that don't have a public presence, they have a collection of hundreds of videos of me dating back to five years ago. They And majority of them are weekly uploads. So if they wanted to, they could go through every single video on my channel and watch them in a like timeline and see what I've been doing for the past five years of my life weekly. Who my friends are, where I've been, places I've traveled, what interests me, how I've changed physically. And you know what I have? I have two photos on their Instagram feed and their private Snapchat story. Like, it really is... um strange to have a public platform because it's very acceptable to go and look at someone's public platform. I don't want to stop them. I can't stop them. And it's not that. I don't feel like it's um, a violation of my privacy, of course, because I'm choosing to post publicly. But it's more so the idea of a target audience and it's who am I posting for. And then the reason my channel is public is so that those people can find it. So same idea when it goes to like maybe teachers or other adults um, who maybe cross a boundary when it comes to my YouTube channel. Um, stories that I won't tell now, um, but at my old school, whatever, like just some strange boundary things that are a byproduct of having a public presence. So yeah, target audience is sometimes, again, the lines get a little blurred when you are a student. And let me ask, what is the deal with people inserting their opinion where it's not needed or asked for? This is something I don't understand. And maybe it's because I've been on the internet for so long that I wouldn't comment something judgmental or rude on another creator's content because of how I know it would make them feel. There seems to be a detach because there is a lot on every channel of just people like <laughs> watching just an innocent video, something that was intended, I think of a day in my life or my morning routine. Simple as that. It's not like an advice video or telling someone to do something with their life because that's different. But it's simply just someone showing something they've done. And people using like the comment section as just a tool to <laughs> spread negativity, I guess. And of course, like disclaimer, like I've made a thousand times, for every one hate comment, there's like 30 lovely, super nice um, comments. But for some reason, humans or maybe it's me, but I think it's humans, that one comment will stand out like a sore thumb. Um, I think there's some like psychology theory that says like we're more likely or more inclined to believe negative things about ourselves if we're told negative things than a positive thing, which I guess makes sense. If someone says you look really nice today and five people tell me that, then I'd be like, oh, that's nice. But then if one person tells me that I look horrible and awful today, that's the one. <laughs> That's the one I'll remember. But yeah, the the thing about YouTube is that in theory, it's really great because it's just an outlet where you can upload and then gain support. And my you know, what I'm kind of talking about on this episode is all of the byproducts that are just irritating because they're not the reason that you start that start a YouTube channel. It's not the reason that you continue to have a YouTube channel, and it's things that you wish would just go away. And people inserting their comment or their opinion where it's not asked for is it's definitely one of them. 
I feel like it's so wrong that they can just do that. I have tutorial videos that have blown up and people will <laughs> say awful things. It'll be a four minute tutorial and they'll be like, video doesn't start until 1.32, burn in hell. Like, <laughs> they're like, you don't deserve love or happiness. Um, yeah, and I'm like, oh my God, this is because of one minute and 32 seconds. How long did it take you to write that comment? Weird. Weird. If you ain't got something nice to say, don't say it, you know? Like, it's pretty much as simple as that. And if you do have something nice to say, say it on a positive note. If you like someone's video, let them know. It will mean a lot to them. It means a lot to me. If you like this podcast, leave a review. Mm. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> okay, so this next section is a big one that I feel I haven't really heard many people talk about it. Maybe because it's not <laughs> applicable to people who aren't YouTubers, but I still feel that it's interesting. And this is the more businessy logistics side of YouTube. Two things that are just consistently irritating in my daily life is the algorithm and analytics. YouTube, <laughs> let me start with the analytics and explain to you the YouTube Creator Studio, if you don't know what it is. When you're a YouTube creator, a creator on YouTube, you have access to the YouTube Creator Studio, which is <laughs> essentially just like, there's a million subcategories and it shows you all of the data about your YouTube channel. Let's pull it up. Here at studio.youtube.com, you can see your dashboard, your content, your analytics, your comments, subtitles, copyright, monetization, customization, audio library, settings, and send feedback. And within all of those categories are about 50 subcategories, and you can see where your audience is located, any other audience demographics, your main you know, revenue streams, your trends with your videos, how long people are watching when they're clicking off, how well you've done this month versus the previous month, a live subscriber count, a live view count. Like there's really a lot. And YouTube has done a great job of having a very thorough analytics studio. But the way in which they present these analytics is problematic. I won't even lie. Um, all these, every creator I've talked to feels the same way. And I think that this is a big part of the reason why so many YouTubers struggle with authenticity and consistency. It makes content creation like a business instead of an art form, which is YouTube's goal. Like YouTube, Google, YouTube, the corporation, they take half of the creator's revenue that they make. So they want to like be milking these creators for content, quality content and consistent content. And you can't have both unless you're, you know, working all day, every day. So specifically how they display this content, when you upload a video, YouTube Studio, the first slide will compare that video with your past 10 uploaded videos. So when I pull mine up, I uploaded a video four days and 18 hours ago. And it says your latest video performance, ranking by views, and it shows eight out of 10. And then it has the three subcategories that are views, impression, click-through rates, and average view duration. And they have big red downwards facing arrows showing that you did not do well on this video. And then you can see your average views versus how awful my recent video did or so they want me to believe, because it puts you in competition with yourself. 
When you go into your analytics page, it also shows the past 28 days or one month of analytics, and it compares you to the previous months. And again, since I haven't uploaded as consistently the past couple of weeks, I have big downwards arrows. They make them noticeable. So when I go into my creator studio, I basically just see a bunch of downwards trends, downwards graphs, downwards arrows, and it makes it look like I'm somehow failing, even though I'm just like, I'm not. It's myself. I'm not being compared to another YouTuber or like a how it should be. Like if they took my following into consideration and created a graph of their prediction. No, I'm being compared to myself. So if I have a downwards arrow, it just means that a couple weeks ago, I had even more views, even more money, even more subscribers, and they're still mine. They're still mine. They're just not in the past 28 days, but it doesn't feel like that. It feels really not good. <laughs> I won't even lie. And I find that I'm not as proud of videos that don't perform well. They could end up getting the same amount of views or the one that doesn't perform well in the first week could get more views somehow later in the future. But for some reason, I just don't feel as proud of the videos that like don't shoot up right from the start because of how YouTube displays it. And then once you get a new video uploaded, you only see that video. So the other ones, it doesn't necessarily celebrate any more progress. So it promotes this idea that every video must be significantly better than the next. People must like it more and it, you have to still have consistency because then YouTube won't promote your content um, if you're not uploading consistently. So it instead of saying quality versus quantity or quantity versus quality, it says, no, we're going to need both. We're going to need both. And we're going to need a lot of it. And then you're going to need to one up yourself on a weekly basis. And it promotes ingenuity and clickbait. Like bottom line, it really does. If someone like Mr. Beast says, I, you know, filled a, what does he do? What does he even do? I drained the ocean and filled it with 84 million squishies. Like, doesn't he do that? Orbeez? Orbeez? Squish balls? I don't know. Yeah, anyway, like people are going to be more inclined to watch that than like day in my life. But how this applies to me is I I like to be a little more unique and artsy with my titles, especially like for an example, I when I went to Amsterdam before I moved here, I think I titled the video Falling in Love with Amsterdam or when I went to Rome and I was like, I don't know, going through something, I guess. I titled it, I'm sad, but I'm in Italy. It's a fine title, but it's not what people are searching. No one's searching, I'm sad, but I'm in Italy or sad Italy, like keywords. If I wanted to, you know, have the video come up in search terms in the algorithm, I should have titled it Italy Vlog 2022, so much pasta, pasta pizza, and Italian food and wine, uh, and chapels, and so history and gelato, Rome, like, you know, like, just all those, all those crazy long ass, like, instead of London Vlog, when I went to London earlier, I could say... I flew 1,500 miles to meet an absolute stranger from the internet who I've never met before. Not clickbait. You get what I mean? But I don't want to be doing that. I think this is why so many YouTubers are so hesitant to make YouTube videos for a living is because if you don't have another income stream, you have to play the game. You got to play the little YouTube game. And then it strips a lot of the creativity. I won't say all of it, but it strips a lot of the creativity because it, without a doubt, makes creativity and originality less of a priority. And the priorities become marketing and networking and brand deals, etc. Speaking of brand deals, this is 
my next little subcategory. I would say one out of 10 brand deals actually work out for me. And like out of 100 offers, I accept one of them. So you can do that math. That's what, out of a thousand offers, I accept 10 of them. And out of those 10, one work. Maybe that's, I don't think I get a thousand offers. <laughs> that's definitely a lie. Okay, disregard that statistic. But, but the point is meant to be like sifting through all those emails. I don't have an agency or management. Sifting through all those offers, half of which are complete BS. It's just a lot of time and then reading them and then going to the site and realizing it's just like an Amazon reseller. I don't know. But when it does work out, it's so great. These collaborations, like I said, one out of 10 works. So sometimes I'll be planning a collaboration for super long. I'm on board. I think they're on board. We're emailing a month, two months. We're figuring out the details. And then for some reason, it doesn't work out. I've had experiences before where I've been really excited to work with a brand and then they just drop out at the last minute. Ivory Ella did that to me once. I'm just gonna name drop. It was my first ever brand deal. They offered me a 13 year old $2,000 and then they just stopped emailing me. It was kind of rude. Um, but a lot of the times it will be, since I'm under 18 still, it will be like, they'll send the contract so we'll literally be done. And I'm like, I am 17. And they're like, oh, and I'm like, uh-huh, maybe if I need to be over 18, you put that in the first email, right? Like so sometimes it's stuff like that where it's like, well, there's, you know, 20,000 emails that I didn't have to send. When a brand deal does work out, again, so great. But then you have to film with the script. Sometimes they'll send a script or it's like smile at least three times. It's kind of weird stuff. Um, and then you send it to them and the brand has to approve your YouTube video. So you send it and then either they'll make changes and then you upload it again and then you send it to them and then it's back and forth, back and forth, and then you can upload it. And then you have to fill out tax forms and there's just so many emails. So it's just work. This is why like YouTube is a part-time job. The more opportunity, the more responsibility, or you can have an agency and a management, but then you're paying them. So they're taking a cut. And my personal favorite <laughs> thing to talk about, there's a lot of brands, small brands, that will just send an email to like 500 people in one. Or they'll just send a bunch of individual emails with like a bot or a copy and paste. I'll get emails that start with, Dear content creator, hello YouTuber. Dear individual who films themselves on the internet. Like it is the most out-of-pocket stuff. It gives me the exact same energy <laughs> during Pride Month when I'll get DMs that say, Hi gay. Oh, hi, gay. Do you want to wear our rainbow hat on your channel? Rainbow pins giveaway. Hi, LGBTQ. <laughs> like, it's just, you, it's hard to believe that someone said, oh, we're fooling them with this one. Hi, YouTuber. Dear content creator. Like, come on. An ounce of effort, please. An ounce. So... If I haven't already crushed all of your hopes and dreams of becoming a YouTuber, now I have some tips for starting a YouTube channel because truly, at the end of the day, it's my favorite thing to do. Maybe it's not YouTube that's the issue. It's everything else in my life that stands in the way of me having the time to sift through all of the annoying bits of YouTube, right? Does that make sense? It's not you, it's me type of thing. Anyway, if you want to become a YouTuber, listen up. Biggest tip is have consistency at first. YouTube loves a consistent creator. Um, if you're uploading once a week, that will be recognized. Upload at a convenient time as well, right? I upload usually Saturdays, 6 p.m. 
Um, which actually I should change because I just realized that people are going out on Saturdays at 6 p.m. God, that's stupid. But then Sunday morning, like hungover. Oh, Will's camera uploaded. Uh. Or don't have plans Saturday night. Sad. Go on YouTube. Oh, okay. So I'll keep it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm in a weird mood today. Um, so yeah, consistency at first and YouTube's going to recognize that and start to promote you, hopefully. And then two episodes ago, I had Carmen on, who's also a YouTuber, a friend of mine, and she said this, but I'm just going to say it again because it's important. Quality thumbnails and titles, that's the first impression of your video. People don't get a preview of your video. They don't get to watch it. They see the title and the thumbnail, and it better be good. Whatever it is, make it good. Put some effort into that. And then this is something that I forgot where I learned it but I only heard it once and ever since I heard it changed the game. And a lot of people do it without realizing and it helps them a lot. Carmen is a good example of this. First 15 seconds of your video are the most important because that is the second first impression. And with all of the short form content on TikTok, on Instagram Reels, on Instagram feed, on Snapchat, like this short form, super clear, concise, down to the point content has made people's attention span. Oh my God, that of a peanut. Like it is so crazy the amount of like little patience people have people will click off your video in the first 10 seconds if you don't entertain them so make it interesting and a great way to do this insider information listen up put in the headphones volume down this is top secret um that i was saying carmen does a great job of is doing a little preview you hear social media as a highlight reel, literally make a highlight reel. Take your best footage and the most exciting parts and a variety from your video. If it's a vlog, show all the events. If it's a travel video, show the coolest parts of your trip and put them in a little coming up section, first 15 seconds of your video. I do this often, perhaps in an alternative way, but literally, uh, Carmen, I'm just using her as an example, will have like maybe 20 clips at the start of her video with some like nice upbeat music and have the text coming up. And it is smart because if someone sees one clip that hooks them in, it's like the hook at a beginning of an essay. If you can get them hooked, if you can get them interested and intrigued, they will probably watch until that bit, at least. And then if the content is good, Th like thoroughly through until that bit they'll keep watching and if the whole video is good they'll probably subscribe to you so you don't realize how important those first 15 seconds are or maybe you do and you guys are all like no shit sherlock <laughs> and then another important aspect is just establishing a brand for yourself and there are t so many ways to do this whether it's a type of video you're going to make if you say okay i'm going to start a youtube channel and i'm going to make lifestyle vlog content I'm going to do days of my life, morning routine, night routine, and go with that direction. Great. If you're going to do only travel videos, well, you should travel a lot then because you got to find a way to be consistent. Or if you want to do commentary videos on society, like, uh, you know, like you can establish it in the type of videos you make or your aesthetic, like Best Dressed, Ashley from Best Dressed, great example. She had a very clear aesthetic. She also had a great personality, but... She definitely had a very defined aesthetic. Pinpoint something that will define you as a creator. Because if your content's the exact same as someone else, especially, I hate to say it, someone else with more followers, it's just, it's not looking too good. It's not looking too good for you, honestly. And the last tip I'll give, although there's many others, is tell people. Tell people when you start your YouTube channel. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Your aunts, uncles, your cousins, neighbor. 
dog, neighbor's dog. Like, tell everyone because the first 100 subscribers and the first, you know, couple hundred subscribers are the absolute hardest, most difficult to get in your entire time on YouTube. Um, as you gain a following, I do believe it gets easier because one, you have more views, more eyes, more people who can share it, more likely that YouTube will promote it. And also there is this weird kind of cognitive psychological effect that I do believe to be true that when you watch a video um, with more likes or someone who has a bunch of followers, you're more likely to follow or like the video. If I see a reel on Instagram reels, that's super good, but it has two likes. My first thought is why does it only have two likes? Should I not be liking it? Or if I see a very average one that's averagely funny, moderately funny, with you know 8.2 million likes, I'm going to say, well, what's another? Like, it's weird, but it's, it happens. Yeah, those are my tips, guys. I have some, I asked you guys for some Instagram questions, just about anything. I think this is another section I'll incorporate because, well, it's my podcast, and I think it's fun just to see what you guys are wondering and answer those questions. So let me pull them up. Okay, well, this question is actually pretty um, on topic, but someone asked, uh, do you want to do YouTube in the future? And if not, what career? Um, and I think that although I have just talked a lot about why people are hesitant to do YouTube in the future, I would love to do YouTube in the future. If I have time to do YouTube, I would love to do YouTube. I would love to do it my way. And hopefully it works. It's a very idealist approach. And a lot of things have to fall into place. A lot of moving parts kind of have to fall into place in order for that to work for me. But if it's an option, then yes, without a doubt, yes. I think it's opens up a lot of opportunity and people can start on YouTube, but m use it as a tool to have many other careers. If they want to promote music or merch or um, another platform or a podcast like I literally am doing right now, there's so many like little branches that break off of YouTube that I could have a career that has sprouted from YouTube and that would be pretty great. So... If you'd love to support me on that journey, shameless plug, Will's camera on YouTube. Another question. I like this one. Someone asked, what are you currently excited about? <laughs> um, well, today is Sunday, November 13th. And on Wednesday, November 16th, I am going to Amsterdam with a couple of friends to go watch Trixie and Katya live, which there's no point in trying to hide it in any way. I have crossed that dangerous line from admiration to idolization and obsession when it comes to Trixie and Katya. And what's even worse is that I don't feel bad about it. I don't think it's an issue. I don't want it to be an issue. Rather, I just want to be them. <laughs> like, uh, anyway, I'm just really excited. Um, so yeah, I'll be doing that. By the time you guys are listening to this, I will have already gone and I will be in bed arms crossed over my chest, still recovering. <laughs> a, t a tear, a single tear will be rolling down my cheek. Yeah, it's, I'm very excited. Someone asked, what creators do you recommend we follow? Who are your favorite creators? Um, a few people asked that. I have a little section on my YouTube channel. Um, it's called channels. If you go to my channel um, of my favorite creators at the moment, I obviously have a lot, but I'll name a few. Damon Dominique, Isabel Page, talked about them both. Carmen, obviously. Iris, obviously, who was on last episode. But I really like Jona Yinten, who's a Swedish YouTuber. She lives in northern Sweden. 
and just makes beautiful videos. The Bliss Bean, who I talked about, Unjaded Jade, Amy Chia, Anya, Dustin Vuong, HeyX Natalie. There's so many. If you go to my following list on Instagram, just know I like all those people because I'm very selective with who I follow. So I think there's about 200 people on there and I like all of them. Someone asked, what is something you've learned um, from living abroad? And I, I love this question. I have a lot of things that I've learned and I think I'm going to make a podcast episode just about this topic, but I'm going to try and be really like insightful and have like a very broad overall message. I think um, a privilege that I've gained from living abroad is the insight and the mindset to comprehend that there's so much more to the world than what exists in your bubble. And I think that had I not moved abroad, um, I would have been really affected by what happens in my bubble, in my school, in a group of people, in a town. I think it's helped me stay clear of a lot of like dumb drama. I, I always can't wrap my head around it when people get wrapped up on what's going on in the school with other people or um, when they care so much about a school event. Like I think that I've just um, realized like, well... I don't need to be affected by this because I have friends in eight different places that I can turn to and go see and visit. And it's, I'm just really lucky to have that outlook and opportunity as a byproduct of living abroad. And the final question, oh, well, this is for everyone. They asked, when do you upload podcast episodes? If you don't know, I upload podcast episodes every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Amsterdam time. So you can look up whatever your time zone is and it will be then. If you're in the States, it might be late Tuesday night. And if you're in East Asia, it may be late Wednesday night, I think. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned something, maybe gained some respect for YouTubers. If you are a YouTuber, I see you and I hear you and I respect you. If you want to start a YouTube channel, you better do it. I believe in you. It's always tough to start, but it's always rewarding. And if you have a desire to, those are the type of people who are going to do well is the ones who really care. So if that's you, Go for it. And uh, if you enjoyed this episode um, or you've enjoyed other episodes, I would really appreciate you leave a review. Um, you can follow me and the podcast, I guess, on Instagram at cutthecameras.pod for updates on episodes, questionnaires, little posts, whatever I'm, whatever I'm feeling that week. And I will see you guys next Wednesday for an all new episode. Uh, love ya. Bye. <laughs>